Hello, and thank you for joining us for this episode of the Dallas Christian College Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Spees, Director of Advancement here at the college, and we are continuing in our series that we have titled One Faith, One Body, based on the book of Ephesians. Over these next several weeks, you're going to continue to hear from Dallas Christian College students who are all part of Dr. Eddie Sanders' Preaching the New Testament class. One of their assignments was to prepare for an episode of the Leadership Podcast and share that with you, our listeners. So joining us today to share his thoughts from Ephesians chapter 3 is Zach Richardson. It's good to have you, Zach. It's good to be here, Scott. Zach's completing his second year here at DCC and is a practical ministries major. He's preparing for an internship this summer at the Branch Church here in Farmers Branch. And facilitating today's discussion with Zach is the chair of DCC's Bible Department, Dr. Mark Halen. So, Dr. Halen, I'm going to turn it over to you and let you continue in our series, One Faith, One Body, as we look at Ephesians chapter 3. All right. In, in Ephesians 3, Paul brings up a topic that he's alluded to briefly in previous places of the book, this thing that he calls the mystery of the gospel, the mystery. And then after talking about that, that leads him into a prayer at the end of the chapter. And so, uh, Zach, I know you've been thinking a lot uh, about this concept of the mystery. And so tell us a bit about what you what you've observed about it and the significance of, of Paul's words about the mystery of Christ and the mystery of the gospel. Yeah, so one of the verses that I'd like to point out would be Ephesians uh, 3.6. And so what it says is, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Uh, so Paul goes back and he restates what the mystery is. It's no longer a mystery. And so that's what's really interesting here is that Paul actually states out what the mystery of Christ is. Yeah, there, there's this notion, the Greek word mysterion, had the idea of something that was once concealed, but now has been revealed, so it could be usually celebrated. Uh, uh, it was often used uh, to refer to the debriefing that Greek commanders would have after the battle was over and the victory had been won. He would then gather the troops and explain to them what their role was mm-hmm. because they were just given orders for their sector and they didn't see the whole plan. And so, so this idea of something that was concealed but now is revealed and is celebrated uh, and we relish in our participation in it. It's fascinating, fascinating image. Uh, how, how, what, what sort of significance do you see with this idea of the mystery? What's, what's Paul doing with that word and that image in chapter three? So, what I think Paul's doing uh, whenever he mentions the mystery of Christ, uh, it, it puts this really big idea over it. Uh, It makes you actually wonder. It's like, well, what would that mystery be? And then, of course, he restates it. I mean, he tells you what the mystery is. It's no longer a mystery. Um, But then another really interesting part, he uses Gentiles a lot. And so Gentiles, uh, if you do a word study on it, it also comes out to being nation or people. And so this mystery has been revealed 
to the nation and people of Christ. Uh, not just this certain group, not just the Jewish, but also the Gentiles, which would be the nation. And so that's also something that uh, Paul restates quite a bit throughout this uh, book and as well as chapter 3. And, uh, of course, he mentions Gentiles quite a bit. Uh, this is the mystery that the Gentiles. So that, that's a big piece here that the nations it has been revealed to. Yeah, I think, I think our, our English translations kind of sanitize things a bit by the use of Gentiles. I don't think that's their intent. That's the way this word has, this Greek word ethnos, from which we get ethnic, means people group, nation. That's the way this word's always been translated in English translations. And the further back you go in English, the more people understood what Gentile was. But now that we're in the 21st century, most people don't really know what Gentile means. It's a, like a theological term, and we throw around theological terms without knowing their meaning all the time. It's a sad, sad occurrence when it happens. It, you know, it's not just non-Jews. People, you know, that's the way I always heard it. It's non-Jews. No, it's bigger than that. It's the nations, the nations and, and people groups. That means Paul is saying God's had a plan. God's had a plan, and we see the plan as far back as the pages of Genesis. In Genesis 12, God promises Abraham that through Abraham and his descendants, He's going to bless the people groups, the nations of the earth. Right. And so Paul is saying, like the Greek commander, you have a role in this, and your role is to get with the plan. <laughs> yeah. Your role is to appreciate your brothers and sisters in Christ and to live in unity with them so that God can show his greatness in saving the world through Jesus Christ. That's excellent. What else do you have, Zach, for us? Yeah. So then also, coming off of that, um, God's promise is also an offer of God's grace. And so that's another big piece here is the strength that God's grace provides for us as a church and as a nation. And so from verse 7 to 8, it's interesting because Paul also retraces God's grace that was talked about in chapter 2. But he also emphasizes the power of God's grace. And so what's really cool to me is verse 8. He says, To me, though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles. So that's awesome. I mean, that's a piece of encouragement for us uh, today. It correlates back to now. It's like, we, no matter who you are, no matter what you've come from, God's grace allows us to go out into the world and to further the kingdom. Yeah, he, he talks about grace there in verse 8. Uh, well, verse 7, verse 8. And then as you move down through the passage, uh, he talks about God's purpose. This was according to the eternal purpose, a theme from chapter 1, that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, God the Father was working out his purposes in Jesus. And then, and by the way, our Lord, all our Lord, mm -hmm. in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith. So he's returned to that gem in 
chapter 2, by grace are you saved through faith. And faith has the idea of appropriation. God has done this in his grace. He's initiated action toward us. We, in faith, appropriate that action. We reach out and become beneficiaries of that action. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, mm-hmm. which is to your glory, which, which, again, that's a fascinating image of oneness that Paul, he says, don't just feel sorry. Don't feel sorry for me, woe is me, woe is me. Understand that I'm suffering for you. And that's part of oneness, that yeah. we suffer for each other. Right. That's excellent. So then he moves from this discussion on the mystery to this prayer what did you glean from the prayer that he prays for the church at Ephesus yeah so this is kind of where it moves into more of the spiritual strength aspect and so from this there's a lot of different uh, pieces you can go off of but from verse 16 he says um, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being and so that right there is that's the Holy Spirit Uh, and of course the Holy Spirit is still working today and so this prayer, even though it was to Ephesus, is still working through our lives today. And I think that's a very pre- pre- prevalent thing throughout our, our culture of how, I mean, I pray this prayer quite a bit. It's like, please just strengthen me with your spirit, all the way to my inner being, all the way to my soul, strengthen me. And so this going to Ephesus, I think this is a very powerful prayer for them as a church for spiritual strength. Yeah, and... It is, you know, it's according to the riches of his glory, mm-hmm. which which reminds us of that theme in chapter 1, which then moved through chapter 2, that everything that we have, everything that we are, everything that we do, ultimately originates with him. He is the one who who gives us unity in Christ, and he is the one who will empower us. He will empower us for the task. He will empower us for holiness. He'll empower us for unity. Right. Uh, we can't do this ourselves. That's good. What else? Yeah, yeah, and kind of like w- with what you were saying there, Dr. Halen, uh, it also says that basically in verse 17 is like, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that's a big piece right there is spiritual strength also comes through faith. Faith is probably one of the biggest determining factors in spiritual strength. And then of course, there's kind of a, um, not really a command from Paul, but this is kind of a high priority. And it says being rooted and grounded in love. And so that's kind of a, a key factor in our own spiritual strength is to be rooted and grounded in love and having faith. And that's when Christ will dwell in our hearts. Mm. Yeah, and, and when that happens, then we have strength in verse 18 to comprehend, and it is significant, that next phrase, it's not just so that you can comprehend as an individual the, the height, the, the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of God's love, but no, you comprehend it with all the saints. So that unity... One objective of unity in the church is so that we can all together experience together the depth of God's love that we as individual believers cannot fathom. Right. Uh, I think there are times in our life where, where because of something that has happened in someone else's life, 
we go, oh, that's a God thing mm -hmm. that I would have never and could have never experienced. Or we together as a group experience something together and we go, oh, that was God. That was God. And we could not have experienced that on our own. Right. And he, he uses several times. I mean, he talks about, uh, you know, verse 10, his intent, his intent, God's intent was that now through the church, mm -hmm. okay, he's talking about the body of believers there. Same thing in, in verse 14, 15. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So it's that idea of, again, of, again we are being, you know, crafted into a new humanity, right. a new being of believers, a new family, not based on only our ethnicity, but more so on our union with Christ. Right. I really like that yeah, and also, like, that kind of goes into verse 19, which is, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You know, this is an encouragement for us as a family, as a nation, as a people group, as the church. And I don't know about you guys, but, like, whenever I think of God's love, that it surpasses all knowledge, that right there is a strength to me, is that my Father, the one that loves me, the one that sent his Son to die on the cross, is the one that has love that surpasses all of my own human knowledge and then it also goes on to say that you may be filled with all with all the fullness of God and that just that always amazes me that verse of how um, we can be filled with the fullness of God uh, you just have to have faith and that's when it comes back down to being rooted and grounded in love and I, I just love that verse right there because that right there is a pretty good encouragement to the church is that the one that loves us the the father surpasses all knowledge of love Yeah, the, the chapter closes with perhaps some of the more famous lines uh, mm -hmm. in, in the book of Ephesians and some, there's been some, you know, capturing of phrases that comes from, from that closing paragraph. Uh, what are your, some of your reflections on 20 and 21? Yeah, so 20 and 21, like you said, I hear this one quite a bit because, I mean, it's pretty powerful. Uh, I'll, I'll read it. So for from 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And of course, Paul closes it out right there. Um, but this talks about the body of believers and the power of the mystery that has been revealed to work through us all forever. And so as a church, I feel like this has been a common theme throughout ever, ever since the very beginning at the very early ancient church is to uh, glorify Christ Jesus and not only through your own church but through all generations so if you plant this seed earlier on in your own church in your own life in your own family in the own nation this common theme of glorifying Christ will go on forever and ever I think the theme of one faith one body is fascinating that when he when he talks about throughout all generations that that we are of one faith and we are one body not just with our contemporary believers that we have one faith and we are of one body with the generations of believers who have preceded us mm -hmm. like a great and, cloud of witnesses yes yeah. 
and we have an obligation to them mm-hmm. to reach higher. Uh, uh, you know, a couple couple weeks ago, uh, when Abram was talking about this is a process, we are being built. This is a generational process. Yes, and uh, and it's fascinating to think that we we are are building on their foundation, standing on their shoulders, and we are laying foundation for future generations of believers if the Lord tarries. And we are and we are one yes. and of one faith with them as well as we glorify Jesus. That's excellent. Any other thoughts from chapter 3? Well, from chapter 3 going into 4 for next, next time whenever Dwayne's out here speaking, uh, I'm not trying to steal anything from him, but one of the lines he gave me when I was asking him, like, what he thought this main the main theme would be he was he would kept going back to no man is an island mm-hmm. um, so I, I think that's pretty cool because you know the church should be unified uh, one church is not this piece here I mean it's all a whole bunch of different pieces coming in together to equal the body of Christ yeah. and so I, I love that but that's what we will be talking about next time in chapter four and it'll be the unity and being one and we are not one island right. you know I uh, Every time I've, I've come to the end of chapter 3, it seems like that ought to be the end of the letter. You know, yeah. He even closes with an amen, and, and we talked about this in the first episode with Caleb. That there is this strong uh, foundation of theology laid on who we are in Christ, how God's love is for all people, not just for the Jews, but for all nations and all peoples. And here's why, and here's what that means, and here's how it's been accomplished through what Christ has done on the cross. Here's how it's living and breathing in us through the Holy Spirit. And we might want to say, okay, good, we're done. Let's go eat at Luby's and have a great time. (laughs) And Paul goes, no, no, no. Now let me tell you how to do it. And so chapters 4, 5, and 6 really become that practical application of now you need to live this life that's worthy of the calling you've received, and let me tell you what that looks like. And any thoughts there to, to kind of set up chapter 4? That's, that is, you know, that's Paul's modus operandi. Yep. Let me tell you what needs to be in your head. <laughs> now that it's in your head, let me tell you how it translates to your hands and your feet and to your mouth. That's great. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Great. Thanks for sharing that, Zach. I'm going to ask you to do the same that we've done with, with all our episodes. If you would, uh, like Paul, have a prayer for those who are listening and pray a, a prayer of encouragement to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Bow our heads as we pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for sending your son to die on the cross, r- rise three days later, and then now that we have the Holy Spirit, thank you for everything you have done. Thank you for giving us the church and allowing us to be unified for one common goal. As we move through this um, season of our life, help us to understand what it means to be unified as a body of believers. Help us to go through generations. Help us to plant the seed of glorifying you, God. And thank you for the encouragement that you offer. Thank you for this letter that Paul has written that offers encouragement and also some direction for us. That way we can know how to be unified for you. Thank you for everything you've done. Amen. 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 The mission statement for Dallas Christian College is that we educate and mentor students to be people of influence, engaging in their calling to the work of Christ in the church and in the world. 
and to that endeavor of what you've listened to these last three episodes has been a uh, product of that. And so we are grateful that you've joined us and we look forward to moving into the latter half of the book of Ephesians over the next several weeks. If you'd like to learn more about Dallas Christian College, you can do that by going to our website, www.dallas.edu. In addition, we uh, are in the middle of our Now Capital Campaign and have some exciting things to share there. You can check that out at dallaspartners.org as well to learn more about how you can partner with Dallas Christian College and make a difference in the world. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Take care, stay safe, and we'll catch you next time.